in the sub-Saharan Africa context, out of the 1.1 billion people in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, there are about 300 million people online, right? So, um, so we have in, an incredible amount of headroom uh, to go. And the challenge for the for the balance 800 million or so people are, is a combination of those three things that I mentioned: network, device, and data. Hello and welcome to another episode of the AOU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa. I'm your host, Savannah Odo. This is season 3.0, where we explore and gain insights from mission-led leaders across the African continent and the globe. Do you have a dream you're working towards, or maybe you're looking for the courage to finally chase it? Well, we'll give you all the insights and inspiration you need to go ahead and become world ready. On this episode, we have our guest, Nitin Gadria, who is Managing Director of the Sub-Saharan Africa region at Google. Today, we highlight the role technology has in transforming Africa. We discuss key things like the boom in technology in recent years and how that affects the growth of certain industries. Do you know what technology does for you or can do for you as an individual, as an economy, or even as a continent? Have you thought of the possibilities and opportunities that come with having technology in Africa? Well, Nitin is here to tell us this and more. So I suggest you buckle up and prepare your mind for all the gems of knowledge we're about to drop. Great, Nitin. Welcome to the AOU podcast. It's so great to have you and taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Great. So we usually start with an icebreaker for the podcast and... It's essentially just to get to know you a bit more and, you know, also to get you comfortable in this space that we're in. I mean, it is the first time meeting you personally, so. <laughs> so the question of the day today is, what is your fondest childhood memory? Wow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of, uh, of very fond childhood memories, but the one, one that uh, keeps coming back to me is, um, and maybe I'll start with a bit of context. I grew up in India, in Mumbai. Okay. Um, my grandparents, my paternal grandparents at the time, they lived in Tokyo in Japan. Okay. Um, and once a year, they'd come down to um, to India and spend about four or six weeks with us. Right. Um, and my grandma, she always traveled with this big, bright red suitcase. For some reason, that suitcase is etched in my memory. And they, you know, typically their, their, their flight would land um, at night, uh, okay. pretty late at night. And as young kids, my brother and I, we'd sort of stay up. That was a special night. We'd stay up until they got home from the airport. And um, we would urge her to unpack immediately because one of the things we always got as gifts from Japan were these little uh, Nintendo Game & Watch devices. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those. This like single screen uh, four-bit video games. Like this is before video games were video games. They used to be these is it, game is it the, the Game Boy? Is it part of the Game Boy? No, no, no. So look, I'm I'm older than Game Boy. This is this is <laughs> well before Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is this is probably one or two generations before the Game Boy uh, came. It it was it's basically a simple LCD, a small little LCD screen with a four-bit okay. four-bit CPU uh, underneath that, and you could play one basic very simple algorithmic game uh, yeah. on that on that screen and at that time it was it was it was a marvelous piece of technology it was 
uh, it was just incredible. It was uh, immersive. Um, uh, and and that, that was the, that was that's that's one of the fondest memories I have because we you know every time my uh, grandparents came to India, that was the one thing that we were we, we used to really look forward to, and that was also you know in hindsight probably my first introduction to fascination with technology. Okay. And that's and that's how you that's how you ended up in the field that you are you're in. Or? I, I I don't know if there's a link between that story and uh, and what I'm, doing, <laughs> what I'm doing today, but uh, maybe maybe at at some subconscious level, maybe maybe there is some link. <laughs> right. <laughs> so while we highlight like unique experiences and opportunities that you've had, you know, in life, I do have to ask, why Google and why Sub-Saharan Africa specifically? Um. Let me start with uh, with why Google. Um, I've I've been at Google now for uh, close to seven years, and um, before before I joined Google, I was I've I've just I was just incredibly fascinated by the work that Google was doing, the yeah. the role that Google played in uh, in democratizing knowledge. Um, was it was just fascinating. I grew up again, and I'm, again, once again, I'm giving up my age, but I grew up at a time <laughs> where the internet did not exist, right? And when the okay. internet existed, initially we had those dial-up connections, uh, and it was just incredibly difficult to uh, to get any sort of decent access to to the internet. Yeah. Uh, and this is all sort of pre-Google days, and Google came and completely revolutionized how information is available. Um, uh, to the world, uh, completely democratized uh, knowledge, and that for me was incredibly fascinating. And to date, uh, our mission um, still speaks to everything that we do um, to organize the world's information and make it uh, make it make it universally accessible and useful. Uh, it's just an evergreen mission. It continues to inspire me to this date. Um, I've spent most of my time with Google uh, in the Southeast Asia India region. Okay. Um, I'm 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 a relative newbie uh, to the African continent, and uh, I'm in, I feel incredibly privileged uh, to be here at this time. The reason uh, I was really really keen to uh, to to move over is just the incredible opportunity that exists. We're at the ground floor, if you will, of uh, what the internet is looks like on the continent and what impact it's going to have on, on um, hundreds of millions of people. The sheer scale of it uh, right. is just, is just mind boggling. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really inspired by that opportunity. So that's, that's, that's how I find myself here. Okay, great. So you've talked about um, the role of uh, technology um, in transforming Africa, so per se, and you know we're looking at it as the topic of today as well. So, just to ensure that the audience and us are on the same page, when we talk about technology, is it just the typical computers that we're highlighting, or is there something more? Would you Would you like to expound on what technology means to you? Well, I, I think technology in general is sort of a pretty broad strokes um, idea, right? Um, right. Um, from, from I guess from my perspective, what I'm uh, what I'm really uh, interested in, and what I spend a lot of my time doing, is thinking about how we can make uh, the internet and Google's products more helpful for users in Africa. 
are right. we play a role in uh, developing the startup ecosystem, for example, in Africa? How do we play a role in uh, giving a leg up to uh, the incredible talent that exists uh, on the African continent? So I am um, specifically uh, um, paying a lot of time and attention uh, into internet technologies. But I think, okay. again, technology, is, like you said, is a, is a, is a pretty uh, broad-reaching uh, concept. All right. So we're going to take it back to your experience at Google or your experience in the technology field. And, you know, prior to your current role at Google as director um, of Sub-Saharan Africa, you led the YouTube business in India and Southeast Asia and led Google in Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos. How would you compare the challenges of the Asian region to those in Sub-Saharan Africa? You know, uh, I think there's... there's Tons of similarities, uh, and at the same time, there's there's a there's a number of very pertinent, very sharp, uh, and very interesting differences. Uh, let me let me start with uh, maybe some of the things that I see uh, that are that are that that are common are between uh. yeah that are common between uh, between the regions. Um, the th- first thing that comes to mind is they're incredibly dynamic regions. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of development happening in various uh, spheres. Yeah. Uh, they're incredibly diverse regions, you know, uh, just like you can't talk about Asia as one uh, uniform mass or for that matter, even Southeast Asia as one uniform mass. Uh, right. mass. Uh, the cultural context in, in Indonesia uh, and, the, and the historical context is very, very different from the cultural, historical and uh, language context in, say, the Philippines. Uh, right. What you find in Vietnam is very, very different from uh, neighboring Thailand. Right, so um, so it's an incredibly diverse region, and 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 uh, that is also true of uh, of the African continent. Um, I think one of the worst things people can do is uh, really talk about Africa as one uniform uh, mass. That couldn't be further right. from, further from the truth. Um, I did a little bit of a of a of a back of the envelope exercise. I think the distance between. Um, between the northernmost part of Africa and the southernmost part of Africa is the same as the as the straight line distance between uh, London and um, I think somewhere in India, right? Oh and if wow! You, if you think exactly right, if you think about the number of cultures that you would traverse in a straight line between London and somewhere in, in India, India, that's a very the same kind diverse. of diversity. The yeah. same kind of diversity exists as you sort of draw a straight line uh, along the length of uh, the continent. So I think, I think again, that, that's, another, that's another very interesting similarity that I see between the regions. Another similarity that I see is just the whole idea of hustle. Right? Okay. Um, just the, 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 the notion that you can sort of see a smidgen of an opportunity really jump at it and create something uh, incredible out of it. That's the... That's, that's, the sense of hustle I've seen in countries like Vietnam, uh, and uh, I, I see in countries like, say, Nigeria. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are those, those are some of the similarities. But then there are also a couple of uh, pretty significant things that set the African continent apart. I think. Okay. On the positive side, um, one is the incredible scale that exists here. We're talking about 1.3 billion people living across the continent. 1.1 billion pe- people living in sub-Saharan Africa, yeah. um, this, just the sheer scale of it is incredibly, is, is so unique, right? 
The other thing that uh, that also sets the continent apart is the is the youth dividend, right? The, the demographic dividend that exists on the continent. Yeah. Uh, we have a median age of about 19 on the continent, and just for reference, in a country like India has a median age of approximately 27. Uh, so we have an incredibly young population. So that's that's another uh, very unique thing about this part of the world. Right. At the same time, there are some very unique challenges um, that, uh, that 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 the region faces. So in the, while we talk about the, the demographic dividend and the young population, in the yeah. same breath, we also need to think very seriously about youth unemployment. Yeah. We also need to think about just the whole concept of access, and access takes many shapes, whether it's access to reliable power or access to um, a quality education or access to um, devices and data. Uh, yeah. Just access as a as 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 a broad concept is another um, is another challenge that I think is uniquely acute in this part of the world. Okay. All right. So, okay. How would you say um, access in Africa is different from maybe Southeast Asia, for example? Let's let's take Indonesia as, as a perfect example. So, comparing a sub-Saharan African country to Indonesia, how would you say access is different there? Um, let's, let's take, again, like I said, access, access is a pretty, uh, I, I think of access as a pretty broad reaching, uh, term, but let's take a couple of dimensions of access. Let's uh, right. take, for example, access to reliable, uh, energy. And uh, that's, that's important for so many different reasons. It's, it's important, uh, from business perspective, it's important from a health, from a healthcare perspective, important from an education perspective and so on and so forth. Access to reliable electricity is is, is critical. Um, we know that that there are about six hundred million people on the continent that don't have access to uninterrupted reliable um, energy, right? And that 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 is a that is a very significant problem. Uh, I don't know the number the, the similar numbers for Indonesia off the top of my head, but it's a negligible issue in the context of an Indonesia or a Vietnam. Uh, and so on. So that's that's one example of that. Another example is uh, if you take a look at uh, access to the internet, right? Yeah. And there are a few things that enable access to the internet. A, you need to um, you need to have access to a network that can that can connect you to, to the internet. But that's that's necessary but not sufficient. Then you need access to a device that can help you get onto the internet. Then you need access to uh, to a data connection that 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 uh, that, that can help you surf the internet. Um, in the sub-Saharan Africa context, out of the 1.1 1, 1 billion people in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, there are about 300 million people online. Right. right? So, um, so we have in, an incredible amount of headroom uh, to go. And the challenge for the for the balance 800 million or so people are, is a combination of those three things that I mentioned: network, device, and data. Right. If you compare that to, say, uh, Vietnam, for example, Vietnam has roughly, uh, Vietnam has a 90 million uh, population um, and about 60% of them are uh, online, roughly, right? Um, and, and they've addressed some of, those some of those challenges, some of those three challenges that I talked about, whether it's network, access to devices, or access to data. So that's, that's what I mean by some of the gaps in access. 
At AOU, we believe in missions, not majors. This is why we are introducing a new program called the Bachelors of Entrepreneurial Leadership. It is a one-of-a-kind program equipping you to be consequential and ignite a ripple of change in the world. Are you looking to become the ultimate problem solver? An entrepreneur leader that makes all the difference in the community and the world? Join AOU and begin your entrepreneurial journey. To learn more about Bachelors of Entrepreneurial Leadership, visit our website www.aoueducation.com. Come lead a mission-led life. All right, great. Thank you so much for that. So um, while technology is not only a requirement to create sustainable solutions to many of the challenges like healthcare, education, urbanization faced in Africa, what difference does it make in the solutions we built? What impact would technology have in um, creating solutions for these um, challenges that we face? I think uh, technology can play a role in, in sort of many different ways. But the, the three things that really come to mind are um, scale, speed, okay. and the ability to uh, to customize for the context and let me let me explain uh, what i mean by that we just talked about uh, we just talked about access to reliable power supply right 600 right. million 600 million people don't have that uh, in, in in this region and it's a huge problem like i said it's a hindrance to business it's a hindrance to healthcare to education and so on right. now the traditional way to to have solved this problem would be to set up big coal power plants which a are not not great for the environment but are also incredibly expensive to set up. And especially when you're talking about sparse populations, it, may, it, it makes little economic sense to set up, which is why we don't have uh, big coal power plants in many parts of, uh, of the continent. Right. Then once you have that power plant, then you sort of build a grid and you sort of, that's how you supply electricity to, uh, to a particular location or a particular region. Okay. Now, uh, that's not scalable. That's going to be really slow to do. That's incredibly expensive. Um, but if you think about what role technology could play here, and this is where uh, this is already happening in so many parts uh, of, of of the continent, uh, think about clean energy like like solar, for for, for instance. Yeah. Um, we know that that's the setup time on something like that is much shorter, um, while the startup costs on something like that might be higher. The ongoing uh, over a period of time, it it, it pays out. Uh, yeah. And it's 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 also uh, a, a solution that fits the context um, of Africa. So I think technology has a role um, to really get things done faster. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that would have taken a lot more time in the past can happen much quicker. Okay. Um, uh, it, uh, technology that's sound can scale, and yeah. then uh, just the ability to to customize a technology to a particular context. Right. So with all that said, why do you think, in your opinion, there's been a slower technology adoption rate? I mean, majority of businesses or governments in sub-Saharan Africa are less proactive and more reactive when it comes to adopting technologies. Um, Looking at a perfect example like the pandemic, there are many SMEs and MMEs that, um, or even government institutions that have decided to embrace digital tools from social media to online payments. Whereas these technologies would have been adopted way before the pandemic. So <clears throat> aside from things like education or awareness of the technologies available, 
uh, what are some of the reasons that there has been a slow uh, adoption to technology and its um, uprising <laughs> within the continent? You know, I'd, I'd actually like to challenge um, that narrative. I actually don't think um, that we see a slower rate of uh, technology adoption on the continent. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to your points in a second, but let me explain okay. why I say that. The reason I say that is because we've seen plenty of examples of new technologies that have been adopted faster in the African context than they have been in other parts of the world. And the okay. reason that's happened is because they're addressing very specific, very local, very pertinent, very real challenges, right? And an example of that would be mobile payments, right? Um, let's take that as an example. The challenge, right. of financial in, of, of the challenge of financial inclusion where you have large swaths of population uh, that are unbanked, that are not a part of the formal economy and therefore not, a part, not participating in, in the formal economy, um, can historically could, be, could only be tackled by setting up uh, really complicated and uh, expensive banking uh, ecosystem, right. right? But in parts of Africa, we've been able to leapfrog that, and M-Pesa is a great example of that in, uh, in East Africa, where um, mobile payment adoption has just been swifter than anywhere else in the world because it has addressed a real problem. Right. Um, and and in, in, in the same breath, we're seeing so many other countries who are, who are trying to drive uh, mobile payments adoption and so on. And, and, and in, many play, in, in many parts, it's been slow going. So um, I... I and there are there are many other such examples of technologies that are that are work, that are solving specific pertinent local challenges, uh, where the technology adoption rate has not been uh, slow. In fact, it's been sort of world leading, if you will. Okay. Um, where I think the gap exists is, and again, I'm going to touch upon something I said earlier. Where the gap exists is in access to opportunity. Right. right. And what I mean by that is, again, access to uh, the technologies that are on offer. Right. If I don't have a mobile phone, there is no way I can adopt a mobile payments solution. Right. Right. So um, I think I think that the, the, the challenge of our time is really how do we get more people access to more technologies that solve locally relevant problems. Okay, that's, that's a very interesting point that you brought up there, um, which brings me to solving other problems like job creation or benefiting from an opportunity like tourism. It's a rather complex conversation that we're having. It is ongoing as well. And in your opinion, um, are there areas tech is best suited to um, accelerate benefits from, sorry, um, is that, let me, let me do that again. <laughs> uh, solving problems like job creation or benefiting from an opportunity like tourism is rather complex and is an ongoing conversation. So in your opinion, are there areas in tech that are best suited to provide an extra edge in areas like research and development, scaling, understanding the problem, or even building a solution? You know, what's, what's incredibly exciting at the moment is, uh, is that I, don't, I can't think of a single industry or a single sector that is 
that is untouched by, by the impact of technology, <laughs> yeah. right? So I think I think the impact of technology can be very broad-reaching. In fact, I, w- I want to sort of take a slightly different st- a slant on uh, on this. Okay. One of the things I've been I've been studying since uh, since in the time that I've been here uh, living on the continent is uh, just I've been looking at the startup ecosystem and trying to understand uh, what's been what's happening in the startup ecosystem and uh, and and um, you know what are some of the challenges and what are some of the opportunities within within the startup ecosystem on the continent and here's okay. here's a, here's an interesting comparison that I uh, that I recently uh, did. If I if if you look at the amount of venture capital that has come into uh, the African continent in let's say 2020, and I recognize 2020 was an odd year given the pandemic, but if you look at the number the amount of venture capital that came into the continent, there was about 1.4 billion dollars of venture capital that came into the continent uh, in uh, in in the year 2020. I think the previous year was was two billion. Obviously, COVID has had some uh, impact on venture capital inflows. Right. In the same period, in the in in the same year, um, India, with a similar-ish population size, with a similar-ish GDP per capita average, uh, granted we're talking about one country versus an entire continent, but uh, just for comparison, in in the same period of time, um, India was able to attract twelve billion dollars of venture capital. Okay. Right, so about eight or nine times what uh, what what uh, we saw in uh, in the African context, and the reason I point that out is because I want to paint a picture of what the upside looks like. Right, there is an incredible amount of upside, incredible amount of headroom uh, that that we still have just with with the startup ecosystem, young entrepreneurs locally building solutions to local problems. And that's what we need to focus on. Uh, and I, I do believe, going back to your question, I do believe this is going to be uh, pretty broad-based. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, we're already seeing this action across uh, so many different sectors. Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's time to pick winners at this point. Right. So how can we adopt the culture and mindset to leverage tech in situations like um, accelerating benefits from opportunities for people in agriculture, wildlife conservation, um, climate change, or even governance. I mean, you've highlighted people just need access to certain resources and opportunities, but you've also mentioned, like, you know, leveraging the youth in, in, in solving the problems that we're experiencing right now. Um, so, yeah, how, how can we adopt the culture and mindset? How can we empower people to have a sort of awareness and education on the things that are coming up for us to reap the benefits of the opportunities available. You know, I think, I think the culture already exists. I don't think uh, there is a gap in terms of creating a culture to, um, uh, to leverage technology and accelerate uh, benefit, benefiting from uh, the opportunities that technology offers. I genuinely okay. don't believe that there is a gap in terms of that culture existing. And I say that because you know whether you interact with young entrepreneurs who are building their own startups um, and and trying to solve the challenges of their communities of the society that they live in. Right. Uh, whether you look at that or you look at your small businesses, right? And 
Africa, all African economies are built on the back of small businesses, right? So this is this is really sort of a small business universe, if you, if you, if you will. Um, if you talk to small business owners, all of the interactions I've had with small business owners, I've consistently seen a willingness to adopt new methods, new technologies, new ways of doing things okay. that people see value in. If, if I can see value in my small business benefiting from a different approach by adopting technology, I will do it. The challenge is, is exactly what, what you alluded to as well, which is how do we get people access to these resources? How do we give people access to this know-how? Uh, right. How do we how do we empower people with that knowledge and understanding? The strides that we're seeing at this point in areas as wide as agri-tech, as, as ed-tech, as, um, as, as clean energy utilization uh, in Africa is, is, is incredible. So um, I don't think there's a cultural gap. I think there is an access to knowledge gap. All right. So how, how do you think we can um, sort of overcome that challenge as well um, in terms of educating the people on what's available to them, but they just don't have that reach? It, it, it has, again, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful to not oversimplify this. this is, these are really, really difficult uh, difficult problems to solve. Uh, they're right. difficult challenges to uh, to tackle. But yeah. I think uh, there's there's a there's a few few different things that need to work in harmony. Um, first up, we need we need to get people more access to the entry point. Right? It's like um, people need a, people need the right to participate in the race. Right. Okay. So what that looks like is really the three the three connectivity challenges I talked about. Like, how do you get people access to networks? How do you right. get people access to um, devices? And how do you get people access to data that is uh, reasonably priced? Right. Okay. That that for me is the starting point. The next the next uh, layer on top of that is once I have access, do I have the know how to make the most of this access? Right. So. Okay. What can I do with uh, access to, to, to these technologies? How do I leverage this technology to, uh, to improve my situation, to, um, to grow my business, to solve my problems, right? So that's sort of the next layer. So there's the access, then there's, the, there's, there's, there's education. And the third, right. the, the third um, layer in this is continuing to attract more and more capital um, okay. into our technology startup ecosystem. All right. So if that's the case, what do you think are the top five technologies um, that have the highest potential to transform Africa? Maybe let's say by 2030. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really, really hard question because... Uh, it's hard to tell now that, you know, we're experiencing a pandemic. You never know what could happen. <laughs> No, exactly, exactly, and I, I think things are moving at a at a really rapid pace. I'm excited yeah. about uh, about the work that uh, that is happening in the technology ecosystem on the continent. Uh, I think a lot of these uh, solutions are not going to be Silicon Valley imported solutions. They're going to be solutions that are going to be that are uh, at the moment being built locally and will continue to be built locally. And those are going to be the solutions that uh, that uh, are most effective in the African context. 
um, I, rather than talk about sort of what technologies, I think there are some areas or some sectors that, I'm, uh, that I think will be crucial in, okay. uh, in the course of the next uh, three to five years. I think a 10-year time horizon is, uh, is probably a, a bit long <laughs> in, in, in the world of technology. But in the, there are really a few, few areas. FinTech is one of them. And how does, how do, how do, how does FinTech evolve to tackle uh, the incredible uh, financial inclusion disparities we see on the continent? Right, mm -hmm. that's sort of yeah. one one challenge du jour, if you will. Okay. EdTech, right? We've seen a huge amount of ev ev evolution in education. You know, uh, about a year ago, we wouldn't have been we wouldn't have thought of a model where learners and teachers are all at home, and we still sort of continue education. Right. right? But today, there are still incredible disparities between who has access to that and who doesn't. Right, so mm -hmm. there has to be a, a ton of progress in in, uh, in that space. Agritech, agritech is another area. We're seeing a lot of traction in agritech. We're seeing a lot of movement uh, in the agritech space. Um, but I think there's a lot more to come. Uh, how do we create? How do we drive? How do we use technology uh, to enhance agricultural productivity uh, around the continent? And I think that's an in incredibly important space. Uh, energy is something that we've spoken about. Getting more reliable uh, access to um, affordable energies uh, is, is going to be another space to watch. And then um, I also talked about uh, the whole idea of network infrastructure. Uh, right. How do we, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest challenges on network infrastructure is it's just incredibly expensive to set up cell phone towers, um, uh, in, especially in sparsely populated areas. Yeah. So, what are what are some of the new technologies uh, that can replace the need to do it in an expensive fashion? So, those are those are some of the areas that I think uh, are going to be very interesting to watch uh, over the course of the next three to five years. All right, great. Um, so, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for the episode today, and I just have one last question. Uh, so, season three point zero of the AOU podcast is highlighting. Um, preparing uh, mission-led leaders with uh, world-ready skills. And we're ensuring that people get out there with the knowledge and, and the tools for them to be, you know, prepared for the work workforce or the, you know, entrepreneurial leadership lifestyle and what have you. So what advice would you give to the audience? You know, if I, if I look into my crystal ball, <laughs> um, what I have observed is, especially when it comes to technology, yeah. what's crucial is adaptability. Okay. Right? If you, if, you, if you step back and think about historical education models, uh, our education models were built in a way that you'd sort of uh, gain an education for the first 20 years, 25 years, depending on what you're studying of your life. Right. And for the rest of your life, you're, monet you're monetizing the skills that you've acquired in the first 20, 25 years of your life. Right. Right. And that, that linear model is going to be outdated, right? Because increasingly, if, you know, if you're learning certain specialized skills in the first 20, 25 years of that education, those skills might be outdated um, 10 years hence or five years hence, right? So okay. for me... The most important skill to acquire is adaptability. 
Okay. Right? The one thing that is certain is we're going to continue to see rapid evolution. We're going to continue to see uh, rapid changes in technology. And in that context, the most important skill that any single individual can have is the ability to adapt. Great. All right. That was pretty solid. You know, you had your reservations about answering this question, but I, I, I feel like you, you got the full marks, full marks. <laughs> <10 out of> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today and taking time to join us on the ALU podcast. Um, we hope this is not the last we hear from you and hopefully we'll have future conversations as we go along. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, great. Thank you for tuning in into today's episode. We just had Nitin Gadria, Managing Director of the Sub-Saharan Africa Region at Google, whose mission is to demystify the role of technology in transforming Africa. What is your mission and what are you going to do to achieve it? At AOU, we believe in supporting young leaders as they declare their mission and embark on their journey to achieve it. If you already have a mission or you feel you're ready to declare your mission, then ALU is a place for you. Visit our website, www.aluducation.com to apply to ALU. Remember, you can tune into our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. This is the ALU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa, Real Stories, Real Experiences.